Um, so try and intervene as little as possible. Um, that's why I say we try and do the, the entire process naturally as possible. And that goes uh, from the vineyards. So in the vineyards, we try and we don't use any insecticides. We're uh, forced to use uh, sort of sulfur, which is, I suppose, used uh, through in all winemaking in the vineyard spraying, but sulfur is a natural element. So, and it's a preservative that's been used in wine for generations. So, in this episode, I'm talking to Justin van Baek, winemaker at Constantia Glen in South Africa. Justin, um, but it's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for the opportunity to have a chat. Yeah, and um, you're you're winemaker at Constantia Glen. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, and how long have you been there? I've been here for hmm, since 2008. So what's that? 14 okay. years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But tell me, as a uh, how did your career start as a winemaker? Was it something you um, were interested in as a child, or how did you yes, so sure so actually um i uh i went to school high school here in cape town and during my grade 11 year um we have to do some work shadow some job shadow and i was very fortunate to do that actually on uh fruit constantia wine estate in uh in the vineyards um i had friends of mine who actually lived right on the estate and they knew the the previous farm manager uh, um kali they knew him very well so i did uh, i did some back work in the vineyards um some work shadow work uh with kali in the vineyards and that was in 2000 and hmm, 2002 um and then uh i matriculated in 2003 and yeah i i mean i really enjoyed the experience and i come from a farming background uh, my family are actually merino sheep farmers in the Karoo. So I always wanted to do something in agriculture, but I quite enjoyed uh, the life in Cape Town. So I wanted it to be Cape Town based and not five hours from Cape Town. Yeah. So I thought it was a, as a good opportunity. And yeah, so I really enjoyed it. And then uh, found out about the, you know, the course that Stellenbosch University offers. So I enrolled um, at Stellenbosch uh, yeah, in 2004. Uh, to study viticulture and enology. Yeah. And I haven't um, looked back, to be honest. I've, I've really? It. Yeah. Amazing. But but come uh, growing up um, on a merino farm, uh, did you have any sort of knowledge before that or, or any idea no. of what winemaking is about? No, not at all. No. Not at all. Um, you know, my only knowledge were of wine, I suppose, growing up was, you know, the bottles that were on the table. Uh, yeah. in, in, and in South Africa at that time, I mean, it was mainly the Rodeberg from KWV, you know, it was always on the table and, and my parents and grandparents always encouraged us to, you know, to have a taste of wine. We were always allowed to from a young age. Don't know if I can say that, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, uh and so no, absolutely no knowledge. And even, uh, yeah, I think, you know, when I was at school in Cape Town, that's the first time that you're exposed to the winelands and I suppose you are attracted to the, the beauty and the sort of romance of, of winemaking um, at a young age. And yeah, I just, uh, and then when I studied uh, it at university, I've, I'm, I've got quite a sort of um, 
you know, I appreciate science and chemistry and, and it just, it just worked very well for me. And I particularly enjoyed the sort of chemistry part of it. Yeah. This is interesting that you say now about the, the science part of it. Um, and, um, you know, that, that was your interest. So, but now I'm, I'm trying to, to, um, find out if, if uh, or I've read this article that winemaking is as much an art as it is a science. Did you find that when you started making wine as well? I think, um, to answer your question is, is when you start out, you very much, um, I think you're attracted to the artistic side, but obviously throughout all our uh, studies at university, it's all a Bachelor of Science, it's all science. You get an amazing, and, and also when I start out winemaking, I felt like you are um, applying a lot of the scientific principles and everything that you've learned at university. But now that I'm more than a decade into winemaking, I start you know, I, I see a lot more of the art behind winemaking. I really do. I think and the art, you know, it, it's something that it takes time. So it takes many years to understand your vineyards and you start being able to, um, yeah, you sort of understand your vineyards, you understand your wine style a lot better. And yeah, I, I would say, to answer your question, I think starting out was very much a scientific application. Now it's a lot of like, artistic sort of application and, and especially towards blending and, and so forth. I mean, obviously the scientific principles are there and they're ingrained in, in us and, and, you know, ensuring that wine is made hygienically, um, meaning that, yeah, I mean, just yeah. wine has to be, um, there's a certain amount of science involved to make sure that it remains healthy. That's really all winemakers are doing is they're trying to make grapes rot in a scientifically correct way so that uh, it produces a, a, a you know a good beverage um, yeah. that's really what we're doing <laughs> so almost, there's a lot of uh, a lot of artistry that goes into that yeah it's a lot it's, it's almost like you have to know the the rules to or you have to learn the rules to break them or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah but, I've, yeah. Always, uh, I've got small children and they always say that, you know, every time they smell like fermenting juice, they just think it's, it's awful. This is like, it's, it's rotting then, you know, so it's fizzy and it's rotting. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah but that is, yeah. That is the, the interesting part, I think, is to see how nature also, um, you know, in this, this, like you say, in this rotting process, that nature, all, uh, how nature has this natural way of producing wine. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Now, so with all the scientific knowledge that you have, how much do you intervene in the in the process, and how much do you prefer to keep natural? Um, so, try and intervene as little as possible. Um, that's why I say we try and do the, the entire process naturally as possible, and that goes uh, from the vineyards. So. In the vineyards, we try and we don't use any insecticides. We're uh, forced to use uh, sort of sulfur, which is, I suppose, used uh, through in all winemaking it, in the vineyard spraying. But sulfur is a natural element, so and it's a preservative that's been used in wine for generations. So, um, yeah. So in terms of the, well, the winemaking, we um, all our red wines are uh, naturally fermented in the cellar because the 
the wine is fermenting in contact with the grape skins. We want the yeast that is outside in the vineyards, we want those yeasts to actually populate uh, the, the fermentation medium. And so we, we do all our uh, red wines with natural alcoholic fermentation. So no commercial yeast is added to those. And um, yeah, I, 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 I try and interfere as little as possible when it comes to um, you know, winemaking, call it that. Uh, there's a lot that one can add, uh, you know, during um, maturation of wine, for example, and or trying to mature wine uh, in stainless steel tanks with uh, staves and so forth. But we are very much, you know, we, we're very traditional in the sense that we ferment our wines naturally in stainless steel tanks, and then uh, the wine goes down into barrels and it's left to mature for 18 months. And um, yeah, we don't try and, and like a, we don't try and fiddle with the wines before bottling. We try and express the vineyards and we try and express the vintage. And as soon as one starts fiddling with, uh, you know, whether it be additions of some sweetness at the end or whether it be fining agents, um, I believe that that makes wine more generic and it'll not express the vintage. I'm, I'm quite proud of the fact, for example, that the 2019 vintage, the, the wines display a lot more elegance and finesse, whereas the 2018 vintage uh, expresses the sort of power and, uh, and sort of the heat of the, of the vintage, should I say. So every vintage is different. And I think it's important that, that the wines display these, um, yeah, these natural occurrences in nature. Um, yeah, I find that very important. But do you have at this point also a way of predicting what the wines would be like? Or, you know, if, if you say the different years of vintage and the, and the weather, the climate, uh, is there some way you predict? Yes, we can predict. Uh, I mean, but I always, I, I, I steer away from trying to predict uh, the quality or the style of a vintage before the wines are actually vinified and in barrel. I try and steer away from that one is, you know, one's always very inclined before one picks the, the grapes that you already think, oh, it's a cool vintage, but so much can change during the harvest season. Uh, and I mean, that just showed this year, for example, we had this very cool growing season. It was um, incredibly cool up until uh, New Year's Day, basically, until the 1st of January. And then in February, we had quite a uh, number of heat spikes and which, which changed everything. It, it, um, it, I think it would have been quite a different vintage had the, the cool summer remained in place. And um, fortunately we had the, the, the bit of heat because it just, it got the, the ripening going a bit faster. Um, otherwise we would have probably still been harvesting today. Really? <laughs> had we not had some heat, yeah. It, uh, yeah. It was uh, it was an extremely late vintage uh, 2022. We 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 started in on the 28th of February, which is a good, I would say, eight days later than we would normally start. And but we didn't actually finish eight days later. We actually finished probably four or five days earlier than than some of our late vintages. So mm -hmm. it was a very condensed harvest because of the yeah the few very warm days we had in, in February. So, um, but now how much um, in, in situations like that where the weather is not 
exactly as it's supposed to be. Um, how do you then, uh, do you have less grapes? Do you have more grapes? Um, mm -hmm. Or is, what, would, what would these cool temperatures do to the, to the um, quality well, of the wine? I think the, the, the quantity of grapes has already been decided really early on. It's okay. actually decided, you know, you, in the, by your winter pruning and then the, the berry set during flowering or after flowering. So it's not so much that, but yeah, it does. The, the coolness uh, affects the, um, the breakdown of the, the acidity. So obviously, as the grapes form, they're these key berry, very small berries, and they are just all acid, zero sugar. And basically, through the raisin, they, the, the sugars accumulate in the berries, and the acid uh, goes down. So in, in cool vintages, the acidity remains uh, in place very well. And we did experience that. So this vintage, we had some not phenomenal acidities. Uh, and that's another thing here at Constantia Glen is it's all natural acidity. We do not, uh, because of our cool climate location, we don't need to ever add any uh, acidity, which is fantastic. And um, except, for example, in a, in a sometimes on the red grapes in a very warm vintage, we we might be um, we might be forced to do that, but certainly the last couple of vintages uh, it has not been required. So um, yeah, it's it's small things uh, such as that, but I think um, I think you know if one can make wine uh, a place where where where, where grapes grow optimally means that there should be very little intervention in in the final winemaking procedure. Mm -hmm. And now, um, how much do you um, experiment? We experiment a lot. Um, so we are continually experimenting. I think um, if one's not, you know, experimenting with winemaking, then you're never learning. Um, so we do a lot of experimentation. Uh, once again, in the vineyard, we do experimentation on sort of vineyard management practices. Um, which are which I think are the most rewarding ones because you can the the influence on, on style is uh, I, th I think the the biggest influence that one can do is actually in the vineyards and then in the cellar we experiment a lot with uh, with uh, maturation vessels uh, particularly on on our white wines uh, we use uh, we mainly use or in the past we mainly used uh, French oak. Barrels. We've now started experimenting with Austrian oak, uh, French acacia. Uh, uh, they, we've got quite a few uh, clay amphora uh, for fermentation and maturation. So, and these clay vessels are phenomenal vessels. I think they uh, are certainly something that I'm very excited about. And uh, I find the the, the clay. Um, we actually have these very large 600 liter clay pots, and they. They allow oxygen to integrate into the wine, similar to a barrel, but I would say a lot less than a, than a barrel. But obviously, without any um, without any oak tannin and any oak lactone flavors, so it's a very neutral vessel. But it does you know, give you more character uh, than stainless steel, for example. So fantastic vessels, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then we continually. Uh, experimenting with uh, doing yeast trials. So on Sauvignon Blanc, we 
produce a lot of Sauvignon Blanc in um, Constantia, and today is actually International Sauvignon Blanc Day. Um, oh, okay. And yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we even collectively within the Constantia Valley. So myself and and Bulla from Fruit Constantia and Donnie from Constantia. It's a, we're actually doing an experiment where we all trialing on on a batch of of Sauvignon Blanc. We're trialing three different yeast types. Just uh, so that we can sort of have a broader experiment that we can then analyze the the final wines and taste the final wines to actually determine um, what are the call it the best yeast uh, commercial yeast types for Sauvignon Blanc from our region. So it's it's continually uh, experimenting in order to learn and improve. Basically, we 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 have to. Uh, you know, continually strive for uh, to produce better wine. And I think it's, I really enjoy the aspect of being able to do that collectively as a, as a region rather than just doing it by myself. Yeah. And, um, but you're mentioning now about the clay pots, and I think that um, this was also originally, wasn't it, where wine was kept in? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I think clay, you know, clay and fora were used for winemaking uh, a long time before um, oak barrels. Um, I think oak barrel, uh, the, the wine making was done in clay and then oak barrels came about as a, as a means of transporting wine. So the, 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 sh the, the clay pots were obviously buried underground mm -hmm. and um, you couldn't move them around. And the, the barrels came about because of wine, for wine to be shipped around the world in the time uh, they were shipped in these oak barrels and then they actually found that um, you know the wine got a lot better from when it was loaded <laughs> onto the ship to oh, yeah. when it got to its destination and then they that's when it came about i realized well actually these oak barrels actually enhance uh, the wine they actually uh, contribute positively towards the maturation of the wine and that's why you know that's why oak barrels became the um the sort of best maturation vessels that we have but uh, in terms of vinification um yeah clay pots or clay and four is where it all started uh, and it's definitely it's a fantastic uh vessel i, I actually compare it especially uh, the ones that i'm working with they it's very close to a glass jar i mean these clay really? these clay and four mm -hmm. are they are fired in a kiln which is at 420 degrees Celsius or something. So they really are uh, fantastic vessels. Um, yeah, and, and a, lot, a lot less oxidative than concrete vessels, for example. I think concrete okay. uh, allows a lot more oxygen ingress into the wine, whereas the clay parts are more similar to glass, I would say. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking if the clay wouldn't then um, add minerals to the wine, because of the of the the clay itself. Yeah, I don't because it's fired in a kiln. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, it, it, it's really it's yeah. I don't I don't see anything. I don't actually. I don't see any imparting of any minerals. Yeah, from mm. the clay. Okay, so uh, it's not it's, concrete. It's, concrete, I think, would probably be more of uh, more of an impact from the from the concrete. Yeah, because that hasn't actually. Yeah, it hasn't been treated, should I say, yeah. Mm. So the clay would, would not be the vessels that you mature the wine in, so it will still be matured yeah. in, in wood then? Uh, no, sorry, I'm saying that that's how it would have been done uh, hundreds of years okay. ago. 
um, we we do mature. So I've only got five clay pots, mm-hmm. and we 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 vinify in the pots, and we leave the wine to mature in those okay. same vessels for uh, up to a year. Yeah, and that's on that's on white wine, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, and Semillon. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now these uh, yeasts that you're talking about that you add, these uh, artificial yeast then, um, is that only for the white wine? That's only for white wine, yeah. That's, and what is uh, the reason that, that you have to add that to the white wine and that you can't use the natural yeasts? So, uh, I'll, um, I mean, one certainly one could... Uh, use natural yeast for producing white wine. It is possible, and we do. I have done experimentation with uh, doing natural uh, fermentation on semio, for example. So semio has a slightly lower uh, acidity and a slightly higher pH than Sauvio Blanc. Um, the reason for using commercial yeast on our Sauvio Blanc fermentations is that we want to ferment our Sauvignon Blanc at a rather cool temperature, so a temperature of about 13 to 14 degrees Celsius. The colder temperature uh, preserves the, those primary aromas. And um, if you, in order to, to ferment at this cooler temperature, a uh, commercial yeast, I don't like the word artificial yeast because a commercial yeast okay. is still, it's still a yeast, it's still the, 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 the same organism. So if one looks at it under the microscope, it's no different from a, uh, from a natural yeast. And in fact, commercial yeast is, um, you know, it's, it's always, it's harvested or it's, it's populated in the laboratory, but from a naturally occurring yeast somewhere in a vineyard. So um, it just means it's, it's available in a packet and you can inoculate the yeast. But inoculated yeast or commercial yeast is a, um, it's a, you, you can basically achieve your desired wine style with much greater accuracy um and and for me the biggest thing is is uh, is using it on on Sauvignon Blanc for for example to achieve a, a certain wine style but also to achieve a much cooler fermentation temperature um the other the other difference is that uh, Sauvignon Blanc certainly our Sauvignon Blanc has a very low pH a pH of 3 or 3.1 and this low pH uh, juice makes it very hard for natural yeast to actually uh, compete or even to populate the, the medium and actually complete the fermentation. So very often a commercial yeast is required. Um, whereas, for example, the red wines that we, that we use naturally occurring yeast that, you know, that they come in from the vineyard, um, the pH of those juices would be about three and a half, 3.6, so much higher in pH. And also red wine fermentation temperatures are much warmer. So you actually, with red wines, where you want to extract uh, flavor and tannin from the grape skins, you actually want red wine fermentations to run at about 25 and peak even at 28 degrees Celsius, which is optimal temperatures for yeast uh, to perform their their job. And their job is really to convert sugar to alcohol. Um, and, And all the byproducts of yeast fermentation are obviously the fantastic flavors and mouthfeel, some yeast use more um, mouthfeel and texture than others. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I think, the biggest reason why we do it, uh, why we add commercial yeast to Sauvignon Blanc and not to the, to the other varieties. Okay, yeah. So the red ones, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And now tell me about the history of this this farm because you're in the same area as Constantia, Khrib Constantia. I've spoken to Bula as well. Um, okay. And um, but what is the history of of the Constantia Glen farm? Sure. So um, obviously, Khrib uh, Constantia is the, the epicenter of the the history of Constantia. The where we are located. Um, on the Constantia Berg, we basically, uh, from Crook Constantia, you travel uh, up the Constantia Main Road in the direction of Half Bay. And we are on, we're basically on uh, what is called the Fluckenberg uh, or Flag Mountain, but it's fairly high up on the slopes. Uh, the farm starts at the bottom, it's at 140 meters above sea level, uh, all the way to 280 meters above sea level. Wow. And these and, it, and the farm actually used to be called Glen Alpine. So it, it used to be very much a forest. And um, it was thought that in the, in certainly in, in the times of the 16 and 1700s, that this would have been used for grazing cattle and so forth. It was never used as uh, land for, for viticulture or for planting vineyards. Anyway, the, um, the, the farm was bought in 1960 by the Weibel family. So they're an Austrian family. They bought this property as a home base for starting a textile business in South Africa. So they bought the farm with no intention to ever farm it. It was very much just a, a you know, a place for them to, to, you know, grow their families and, and to have a base in Cape Town. And um, it took until about the, the mid nineties for them to, in the mid nineties, they were sort of starting to think about, oh, well, we actually have some beautiful slopes. Um, they started sort of toying with the idea of planting vineyards. Um, but in, yeah, actually in 1995, they, they had a red Angus uh, cattle stud on the property. So there were a couple of, uh, a bit of the forest was cleared for, for the cattle, uh, for pastures. Um, and then in December of 99, there was a very bad wildfire that burned through this entire area, actually from Cape Point, through the, the Constantia Mountain, over the Fluckenberg, onto Table Mountain. So that fire destroyed a lot of the vegetation in this area. And it was actually with this fire that they really saw the extent of the entire property and the slopes. And obviously, following this fire, a lot of the, the debris had to be cleared. And it was, the, I, I think this fire was really, the, um, it was the catalyst that just made the, the, the vineyard planting happen much faster. Because once the land was cleared, uh, in order to prevent erosion, something had to be done with the land. And uh, viticulture—well, uh, I mean, winemaking dates back to 1685, so it was the obvious choice. And uh, it, it happened rather quickly. So the vineyards were then uh, planted on Constantia Glen. Uh, the first couple in the year 2000, and the majority 2001, and the final vineyards were planted in 2002. So 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, the, the farm was, was planted and then the winery where I'm sitting now, the winery was built in 2006 and the first wines were produced in the cellar in 2007. That um, is so incredible. And I mean, so it's a very young farm then absolutely. in comparison. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we we definitely one of the, the newer producers in the valley. And in mm -hmm. fact, this, um, you know, ourselves and our neighbors, Eagle Nest and Bokenstancher, are all, we all three properties that are sort of call it on the, the northern slopes of the, the northeast facing slopes of the Constantia mountain. 
whereas the rest of Constantia is all on the south and southeast facing slope. So we're uh, you, we, we're quite high up on uh, against uh, Constantia Neck, and all three of the properties were all planted subsequent to those fires in uh, in, in December of '99. Yeah, that's so interesting. But it's you know what it's it's the story of this. Uh, if you think of it, that the fire. Uh, from the fire that destroyed actually came yes. this wonderful um, winery now. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, to be honest, I think that the there was always a plan to start planting some vineyards, mm -hmm. but I think the plan was very much for sort of 10 hectares and with a fire burning, call it all the, the, the forest vegetation mm -hmm. on the property, um, it it quickly became, oh, we actually have 30 hectares that can be planted. So mm -hmm. today we've actually got, yeah, it's 28 and a half hectares um, on Constantia Glen, and everything is planted to Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon uh, as the white varieties, and then to the five water red varieties. So Constantia Glen is, is completely focused on uh, growing Bordeaux varieties and, and also producing uh, Bordeaux-style wines in, in Constantia. So we produce a Sauvignon Blanc and then a uh, Constantia White, as I call it, which is a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon. And then uh, two Bordeaux-style reds, on the, which are the Constantia in three, which is a blend of Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And the five is our, uh, it's called Constantia in five because it's all five Bordeaux varieties. And that's driven by Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. And it's got Merlot, Petit Bordeaux, and Malbec. Wow. And all, all the estate grown and produced and bottled on the estate. Yeah. That's amazing. But, yeah. and, and do you have a bottle there? What does your label look like? So, yeah. Constantia Glen, you can see that. Oh, that's and it actually, cool. it's very simple um, yeah. and it hasn't uh, changed since the very beginning. So, the first, the first wine that was bottled it was actually... In 2005, we produced our first Sauvignon Blanc. So that's the Sauvignon Blanc. And um, the, yeah, it hasn't changed. The, the, the design of the label has remained identical from then until now. It's, it's never changed. Wow. But that's wonderful. And, and you say the owners are Austrian. The owners, yeah, it's an Austrian family. Yeah. Um, and they, so I mean, the family have actually owned the property since 1960 so i think it must be in terms of you know constantia uh, wine farm and privately owned certainly for the longest period of time yeah yeah well justin this is so interesting and i mean i think this is so wonderful that they did this and that they um you know that they developed this farm and this winery and it's actually a very short period of time where all these things happened yeah we I'm also very, I'm very glad that it happened because I get to make uh, wines in, in, I think, one of the most beautiful parts of the world. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's an extremely beautiful place to work, but also it's a very unique location, um, Constantia Glen is, um, you know, because we're part of the, this very cool climate Constantia region, but the, the soils and the aspects are slightly different from the valley. So it's really got a very unique location. And, and I think the, the property um, is probably one of the 
pristine areas to grow Bordeaux varieties in, in, in South Africa. Um, so it's really, it's an honor to work here. And uh, yeah, we got to just, you know, as you say, we've only been around 20 years. Yeah. Uh, the wines have actually only been around for about 15 years. And um, yeah, we, we, we've achieved a, a certain amount of sort of uh, awards and, and sort of uh, market recognition. But uh, I think it's, yeah, the, the, the idea is to continue striving for excellence uh, in, in what we produce. Yeah. So, and your family, they don't want you back to come do merino farming. <laughs> I have, I have, I, have a, I have two brothers. So my older brother. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah. So my older brother is actually on the the merino farm in Beaufort West, mm-hmm. uh, between Beaufort West and Prince Albert, and um, yeah, he's got uh, you know a wife and two children, and they very happy on the farm. And then I've also got a younger brother who's actually a, an engineer. So we've got a farmer and a winemaker and an engineer. And the, yeah. <laughs> That's very convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. But now, uh, Justin, what is your wish for the future? Wow. My wish for the future. Um, yeah, my, my, my wish, uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very settled where I am. Uh, and I think, my my wish certainly for the you know South African uh, wine industry is that you know we we uh, we sort of start picking up um, or getting a defined regional identity. For me, it's like uh, you know France uh, or Europe. You know they've got this very uh, very focused regional identity, and I think in South Africa uh, previously. Uh, you know, it was all about diversity, and it still is. And we are—we've got the most amazing, diverse floral kingdom. And um, but really, I think uh, you know, in a, in regions, uh, there's still a very sort of there's a lot of differentiation about which varieties are uh, work well in certain regions. And I think that it's slowly starting to, um, yeah, it's, it, uh, should I say, it's slowly starting to form. This, this sort of regional identity. And I think, uh, you know, and, and so coming with that means that, that regions can start uh, working together uh, to uh, promote their region collectively oh. rather than uh, separately. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, I think, where we're heading. Yeah, well, but it's like you say, you're already uh, collaborating on you know the farms in that in that area and that working together. And I mean, I think also for the for the soil and the the whole ecosystem that that's there, that it's also important that farmers or that the wine farming industry, uh, you know, think together in in terms of that. Um, yes. And there's a lot of that happening as well. We um, we're actually doing uh, a terroir study with Vinpro in the next over the next few years, and there's you know there's a lot that's being done in terms of as you say with diversity, and there's the shift. Another another sort of uh, shift is that you know the whole um, region can start uh, farming sustainably. Should should I yeah. say you know we all. Um, so one thing in Constantia, for example, is that all all the nine properties in Constantia, already a number of years ago, uh, decided we control insects uh, biologically, uh, no spraying of insecticides. So our biggest insect um, problem is from mealybug, and we now control that purely uh, with natural predators. So basically wasps um, and cryptolemus to actually uh, 
yeah, control mealybug biologically rather than spraying insecticide. And I think it's just our duty. We, 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 we farming vineyards in a suburban area, really. We're surrounded by suburbia mm-hmm. and constantia. So that was an obvious choice. And now I think, uh, you know, to move to the soil and actually looking after soil health uh, by using sustainable farming methods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, the awareness also from the public, you know, or from the consumer has become greater. And I think this is, I, I personally also think that businesses or wineries educate this way, you know, that by doing that, by setting the example, people are getting more aware of it anyway. So yes. I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I, I just have one last question for you. Can you do a shout out for a, a restaurant or a coffee shop in your area that you visit regularly? That I visit regularly? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, it's actually one of our neighbors, but yeah, the, the coffee block at uh, Baitim for Wachting, uh, yeah. one of our neighboring farms. And yeah, just a shout out, they do some of the most amazing coffee in uh, Constantia. So yeah, a shout out yeah. to the coffee block. Oh, okay, great. So, do you go there frequently? Yes, okay. <laughs> we, fre- we frequent we frequent the coffee block probably a bit more than the than the fine dining restaurant on the. On oh, coffee. is it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's beyond beyond the, the the restaurant is also fantastic. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's uh, yeah. it's called Beyond, and it's uh, beyond expectation. <laughs> oh, okay, that's great. Yeah, oh, that's a lovely name. A lovely name for a, for a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Justin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Pietro. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the invitation. Yeah, it was, it was great chatting talking. to you. Yeah, yeah, and so interesting. Honestly, I think uh, the more I speak to winemakers, the more I, I realize things that I've never realized before about wine. You know.